Hallo, you're listening to Studium Generale, the podcast of the Erasmus University. My name is David Boeren, Program Maker Science, and together with my colleagues, I organize lectures, workshops, film screenings, and more for students, but also for non-students, to broaden horizons. Scientifically proven sex tips. It might sound like a joke at first, but at Erasmus University, much research is being done on intimate relationships, love, and sexuality at the Erasmus Love Lab. During our discussion evening, let's talk about sex. We talked about all things sex. From the right music to set the mood, to what makes good sex good. In this first part of the evening, Daphne van der Bonger told us all about her research on sexuality and romantic relationships. At the Erasmus Love Lab, she and her team scientifically study intimate relationships, love and sexuality in a homely setting. What are scientifically proven ways to improve the sex that you have? Are you interested in more of these kinds of lectures? Check out our website, social media, or YouTube channel at SG Erasmus for our upcoming events, or as you're doing right now, to listen to some of our previous events. Have fun listening to this lecture. Welcome, everybody. How wonderful to see so many of you here tonight. The numbers of the tickets that were being ordered already told us, but then the rain came and we weren't so sure, but uh, this is really great. When Studium Generale asked me if I wanted to come and talk about sex tonight, I thought, well, of course, because I've made it my actual job to think and talk quite a lot about sex. And I'm always very glad to see that many other people share this interest in this wonderful and very complex phenomenon of human sexuality. So considering this complexity of the phenomenon of human sexuality, it seems only appropriate to first revisit what it is we're actually going to be talking about tonight. Because let me assure you, this very well-known symbol of sex is an utterly unjust reflection of what it is we actually mean by sex, or better yet, the term that we as scientific researchers prefer, sexuality. So I will give to you the working definition of sexuality formulated by the World Health Organization. It goes like this. They say that sexuality is a central aspect of being human throughout life, which encompasses sex, gender identities and roles, sexual orientation, eroticism, pleasure, intimacy and reproduction. Sexuality is experienced and expressed in thoughts, fantasies, desires, beliefs, attitudes, values, behaviors, practices, roles, and relationships. That's quite a lot. While sexuality can include all of these dimensions, not all of them are always explicitly experienced or expressed. And sexuality is also influenced by the interaction of biological, psychological, social, economic, political, cultural, legal, historical, religious, and spiritual factors. Let it be clear, sexuality is a very multidimensional concept, so that does not fit what we're talking about here tonight. So when is our sexuality actually being formed? As we have seen already in the uh, WHO definition, it is stated that sexuality is a central aspect of being human throughout life, and this is totally true. 
Our sexuality and all those dimensions that we just saw, sex, gender identities, roles, eroticism, pleasure, reproduction, develop across our lives. So that means that it isn't suddenly there when we enter adulthood or when we enter into a specific type of relationship, like a marriage, like a pop-up restaurant. Although sexuality means very different things across the different stages in life, the important, what we call building blocks of sexuality and lifelong experiences with intimacy are being formed actually very early on in life, the first pictures. Think about the initial ways in which babies and young children experience physical, though not sexual, touch in their bodies, and how important it is to already teach toddlers about bodily autonomy for others and for themselves. That happens very early on, in playing doctor, etc. And then sexuality continues to play a role, a very important role, and take on different shapes until we reach the very end of the road, right there. And increasingly, we also observe that uh, the beauty and also the challenges of the desire for intimacy at old age and how to deal with that, for instance, in nursing homes is a very relevant question. Having said that, I'm personally very fascinated about the two pictures in the very middle of this lifeline because I'm fascinated by the unprecedented pace of sexual development during adolescence and young adulthood. Because in these two stages uh, are where the most people, although not all, but most people, um, have their first experiences with interpersonal intimacy and sexuality. And I'm intrigued by questions that relate to how we develop our relationships and sexuality in our youth. So one of the questions that guide me in my research is how is sexuality actually formed? What plays a role in that? As we already saw in the WHO definition, sexuality is influenced by all these different things. I won't repeat, but it's many different things. And this relates very nicely to one of the leading theories that we use in our discipline of pedagogical sciences, which is where I'm working. We call this the multi-system model or maybe you know it as the bioecological model or the biopsychosocial model. There are many different names, but I like the multi-system model because that's so clear in terminology. And the central notion of this model is that all development throughout life and in childhood, including also sexuality development, does not take place in a vacuum just in our individual selves but is continuously contextualized by all these sorts of social domains and actors in it. And as such, we say that development and sexual development is the outcome of continuous interactions between individual characteristics and social contextual factors. And whether we like it or not, our sexuality has at least in part been formed by people like our caregivers, parents, very early on, our peers and our friends, um, education, and of course, currently, the multitude of popular and also social media that surround each and every one of us every day. So there are several ways in, these, in which these systems affect our sexual development. And theory may sound very boring, but I always like that they help us view, for instance, sexuality and sexual development 
in very uh, nice ways. For instance, some of you may know attachment theory, which states that the ways in which we form early attachment relationships with parents or caregivers become very important working models for the ways in which we develop intimate relationships throughout our, the rest of our lives. And then we have a thing called observational learning theory, also very well known in pedagogical sciences, but also in psychology and, and developmental psychology. And that theory points at the way in which we observe role models around us, and we tend to repeat after them, including how we deal with things like intimacy and sexuality. And then tied into that notion is a very nice theory, social norm theory, which stresses that in our observation of other people around us, we continuously perceive and also recreate specific norms, social norms, also related to sexuality, love and intimacy. And these norms differ across cultures, but they also transform continuously across time. Just think about the very different norms related to sexuality that we had 50 or even 100 years ago. And last but not least, we have this theory called sexual script theory, which explains how these social norms that I just talked about, about sex, contribute to these shared cultural scripts of what sex should be like or how that should go. But it also translates to how we as individuals think about what sex is, but also what we do want or don't want in terms of sex, what we like and don't like. And then, of course, when we talk about sexual interactions with other people, we always have to find a compromise between these personal scripts that we have about likable and non-likable sex and what they have imprinted as the way they want to have sex. So yes, very, very complex. So what then should we consider healthy sexuality or good sexuality? What do we want young people to develop towards? Again, a definition by the World Health Organization, which just shows very, three very important things that I will guide you through. They say that sexual health is a state of physical, emotional, mental and social well-being in relation to sexuality. It is not only the absence of risks like disease, dysfunction or infirmity. Sexual health is only there when we also have positive and a respectful approach towards everything related to sex and sexual relationships, as well as the possibility of having positive, pleasurable uh, and safe sexual experiences, free of coercion, discrimination and violence. So for sexual health to be attained and maintained, the sexual rights of all of us must be respected, protected and fulfilled. And there are three very important things that I like about this definition. So first, here we see that sex, sexuality, isn't only something physical or something behavior. It's also very much about emotions, mental, social well-being, and very much taking place in our heads and in our hearts. The way we think, the way we feel. Also, sexual health isn't only about the absence of negative things or risks. It also must entail the presence of positive things. And here again, we see that sexual health isn't only an individual thing or something that is attained individually, but very much something interpersonal, something relational. 
But still, risks are there potentially and are very important to think about. What about those risks? These are some of the very, I'd like to say, traditional risks that science, education and healthcare have focused on for a very long time. It's about unsafe sexual practices, including having intercourse without condoms or contraceptives, and of course also the outcomes thereof, like sexually transmitted infections and unintended pregnancies. And the personal and also societal costs of these outcomes, of these potential risks, are really, really huge, estimated at billions of dollars each year, worldwide. And relatively recently, science and also education and healthcare have started to focus also on these more interpersonal relational risks of intimacy and sexuality, including multiple forms of what we call dating, violence or abuse, intimate partner, violence or abuse, and of course, sexual violence or abuse. And recently, I don't know if you came across this, our own um, journal at Erasmus University paid a lot of, rightfully so, attention to the unwanted sexual experiences of our own students here at Erasmus University Rotterdam. And the rates that they found were, of course, much too high. And these are, yes, incredibly important things to monitor and to prevent. Having said that, in addition to these very relevant risks of our sexual health, currently we're seeing, luckily, also increasing attention for the positive aspects of sex. Let me guide you through. These are some examples of important studies that, for instance, show that the mass media that we sometimes dread in many ways may actually also have positive effects on, for instance, in this case, young women's sexuality and sexual development. Hey, what do you know? And also, we see more and more studies coming up that show what sexual well-being is all about and how this isn't only important for individuals, but actually also a matter of public health. And then there's one study that I really particularly like, and I also use it a lot to argue why my topic of research isn't just fun, a fun night for all of us here, but also actually really, truly very important. In this study, they write, one of the most robust findings in health psychology research over the past 30 years is that individuals who are in an enduring, committed, positive, intimate relationship live longer, healthier, and happier lives than unmarried or single individuals. We can talk about this later. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We'll unravel this later, for sure. And then, of course, many of you know her, renowned sexologist and professor Ellen Lan went even further making it her life's work to show that sexual pleasure in and of itself has a lot of actual health benefits. This is her latest paper, which is an absolute must read for everyone who's interested in this point. So I propose that we need to integrate this focus on the risks and the positive aspects of sexuality, because we have scientifically shown that a risk-focused type of sexuality education, some of you may know in the United States, for instance, but also many other countries, they use what we call abstinence-only education, where the bottom line is that you should just not be sexually active until you reach a certain age or 
reach a certain relationship status. But we see that this type of education is just hardly effective for any of the outcomes that we would want to get from education. And also, teaching young people how to say no to the things they don't want isn't really successful if we don't also teach them how to say yes to the things they do want. So what would be a really good idea is if we would move toward what these colleagues call a triangle of sexual health, sexual rights, and sexual pleasure. That seems to be a very important way forward in education, in healthcare, and in scientific research. So what about the science of human sexuality, actually? Is that a thing? And what is it? Let it not be a surprise that considering everything we've just seen and how important it is to think and know a lot about sexual health and how we get there, um, the field of sexuality research is actually really quite large. This is only a selection of renowned international scientific journals that in their title pay specific attention to the scientific study of human sexuality. Lovely journals, every one of them. And of course, sometimes we also see a more popular reflection of the roots of the science of human sexuality. Some of you may have seen this. These were really the roots of sex research. And it's quite shocking where we came from and where we are now. And also in the Netherlands, we have multiple important platforms and groups of sexuality scientists, like the Dutch Scientific Association for Sexology, and a very nice list of professors who, in their work, focus on some aspect of human sexuality. And very recently, the Sexo Sex Researchers Platform was launched, so we know better how to find each other and to collaborate on these important topics. And David already mentioned, and the bed is already here with us, also here at Erasmus uh, University Rotterdam, we highly value and also pay attention to the scientific study of this topic because on February 14th, 2021, we launched the Erasmus Love Lab, which is specifically designed to accommodate high-quality scientific research on everything that is related to intimate relationships, love, and sexuality. We are firstly an interdisciplinary research team. So we're a group of people who studies human sexuality, love, and intimacy. And we are embedded in different disciplines, including pedagogical sciences, sociology, clinical psychology, and also child and adolescent psychology. But in addition to us being the lab, we actually also have a physical lab space located in the Mandeville building here on campus in the Erasmus Behavioral Lab. Two of our colleagues from that lab are here today and they helped us very much in designing our lab, which is really great. Our lab is specifically designed to accommodate this type of research on inherently sensitive topics, because that is the case when you research human sexuality. So in the design of our space, we have spent a great deal of attention to ensure factual, but also experienced privacy, safety, and trust between the people who participate in our research and us as researchers. And we also wanted to design a welcoming and comfortable atmosphere to have the people we want to study feel okay to talk about their very personal experiences with intimacy, love, and sexuality. And this lab is actually unique in the Netherlands and also internationally. 
we study a variety of topics, including positive and negative aspects of intimacy, relational sexual development of youth, dating and sexuality of young people with autism spectrum disorder, and the social and cultural origins of sex and sexual desire. We study various populations, and we use many different methods that are all also facilitated and accommodated in our laboratory. There are some examples of current studies where we pay attention to implicit but also explicit attitudes toward sexual violence, the negative side, but also sexual pleasure, the effectiveness of sexual education programs to promote psychosexual health of boys, cultural definitions of good sex, psychological and physiological responses to romantic rejection, and the interrelatedness between love and sex within young couples. I'd like to end by really inviting everyone who's interested to reach out for research, for education, for the dissemination that we try to do, for instance, like tonight, because together we will have the most impact on people's knowledge about human sexuality and also why it's so important to research it, to understand it and to help promote the best form of human sexuality. We wanted to show a list and we can share it after or repeat it again of potential resources here also at this university, um, but also out of this university. If you want more information or any type of support that relates to this topic. I very much hope that this opening lecture has given you at least a glimpse of the multidimensional lifespan, multi-system and positive perspective on sexual health that me and my colleagues at Erasmus Love Lab really like to use and that this will also be a fruitful start of the rest of this evening. Thank you very much. That was the lecture. Interested in more? Then check out our website, social media or YouTube for our upcoming events or as you did just now, to listen or watch some of our previous events. Thank you for listening.